Hello, I'm Justin Guest. I'm a doctoral student in the Department of Government. Um, with me today on the hot seat is Professor Rodney Barker. We'll go ahead and get started. We're discussing Blair's resignation, which should happen next month. Professor Barker, is it possible for a three-time winner to have a negative domestic legacy? I think it's very difficult for a three-time domestic winner not to have a negative domestic legacy. Um, what seems to happen in democratic politics is that the first time you win, you don't win. It's the other side that loses. So in 1997, it wasn't so much that Labour had a, a stunning electoral landslide as that the Conservatives suffered a stunning electoral collapse. 1997 was really a reaction against years and years and years of Conservative rule. Well, of course, that gives a first-time winner a huge advantage. Second time round, people don't remember what they thought of as the bad times quite so strongly. Third time round, they've almost forgotten completely. Um, I, for instance, am now teaching students, and I say Margaret Thatcher, and there's a blank look on their faces, because they were about two when she left office, whereas, as far as I'm concerned, it's still yesterday. Um, for new voters today, what they remember is the last few years of the Blair government. So however much improvement has been made... Um, by 10 years of New Labour, that's not what people are thinking. They think, what's wrong with New Labour? Not, how is it better from the Conservatives? And that's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is that the longer people stay successfully in office, uh, the more of a liability they become. And that's because, in order to go into politics in the first place, you have to be rather unusual. It's the old Mark Twain joke. Um, anybody who actively wants to be President of the United States, is thereby clearly morally disqualified from the task. You have to think that you're a bit unlike ordinary people. Because if you thought you were just like ordinary people, you'd stay an ordinary person. Um, you know, you wouldn't step into the sort of electoral phone booth and come out dressed as parliamentary superman. You have to think you're unusual. And the longer you stay in office, the more unusual you think you are. And the more removed you become. Um, from the realities, at least the realities of ordinary people. So potentially the more of a liability you become to your party. Tony Blair is a very good example of that. When he started off, he was incredibly, he, he was inclusive. He was a friend of everybody. He was even a friend of Margaret Thatcher. He was a friend of the monarchy. By the time of uh, his joining in with the, um, the Bush administrations of, invasion, of the invasion of Iraq, the only argument he got left was, well, I think I'm right. Well, you know, any crazy fanatic thinks he or she is right. Not a very convincing argument, um, but it's characteristic of, as it were, the last days of power. So far from your question, um, you know, does a three-time winner, um, is, is he a, a, an asset to his party? No, he's a liability. Speaking of new labour, does Britain blame Blair more than they blame new labour for the lingering war in Iraq? And if so... Could Blair's role as a fall guy reinvigorate an otherwise exonerated new Labour? Yeah, I, I think um, Blair took it upon himself so much to justify the invasion of Iraq. I mean, after all, immediately before the invasion in 2003, he had the biggest parliamentary revolt um, that any government almost had ever had. Um, it wasn't enough to defeat the government, but it was pretty humiliating. Um, Robin Cook resigned with a devastating anti-government speech. But by then, public opinion was against him. 
The churches were against him. The military was against him. The Pope was against him. Pretty well everybody was against him. So it was, and, and he made it. His crusade, I believe I'm right, the mission-driven politician. Um, well, that's rather good news for the Labour Party um, because it means that people can associate Tony Blair with the war. What they see is George Bush and Tony Blair, not George Bush and New Labour. Um, and, of course, to that extent... The new leader of the Labour Party is also possibly quite good news for Labour. Uh, people say, oh, well, Gordon Brown, bit dull, not like Tony Blair, hasn't got his charisma. But it's usually a mistake to try and follow one person with another person who's exactly like them. You don't follow Elvis with an Elvis impersonator. Um, and you don't follow Tony Blair with somebody who's, you know, well, he's almost like Tony Blair, but not quite as good. So precisely those characters, characteristics of Gordon Brown, which people say negatively, you know, bit dull, uncharismatic, unflashy, positively are not flashy, not opportunistic, not facile, not superficial, safe pair of hands. That could be quite an advantage for Labour at the next election. What aspects of Blair's presidential leadership style do you think will endure with the administration of Gordon Brown? Um, the, the exercise of power. Um, one of the things that happens as soon as you feel the levers of power under your itchy little fingers is that you start using them. Um, you start behaving as if you were in charge because you are. Um, but equally, I think we've already seen that Brown is trying to give a different impression, to transmit a different style. Um, so there are two things here. One is the presidential style and image, and the other is using the powers of the president. The style is different. The style clearly is going to be unflashy. Um, somebody joked about Gordon Brown. It's not entirely true. C trouble with Gordon is that he's all substance. Um, well, no, he's not. I mean, Gordon Brown knows about presentation as much as anybody else. But the presentation that he uses is, I'm not somebody who's interested in presentation. I'm a simple chap. Bit like James Stewart in all those movies where he says, shucks, I'm no good at all these prepared speeches. You know, I've just come up from Idaho or wherever it is. I'm a simple phone, simple chap and I speak to simple folks. But interestingly, Gordon Brown has suggested um, that he wants to do away with or limit um, not some of the presidential powers, but some of the crown prerogative powers. Um, there are things which British governments can do which theoretically they do with the authority of the crown, but that doesn't mean the person of the monarch. It means the simple fact that they are the government. These aren't powers that derive from parliament. Um, they're not powers that really derive from law, except from law as it's expressed in an embedded constitution. Gordon Brown has suggested he wants to um, diminish those. For instance, uh, the power to make war and peace. Um, now, to some extent, obviously, when he said that, he was making a dig at his predecessor. Uh, at the sort of heroic crusading style of, uh, of Tony Blair going into the Middle East and sorting out all those foreigners. Um, he obviously wants to distance himself from that. But at least to begin with, there clearly is the intention of backing off from the presidential style. The question is, where will we be in six months? Um, because it's one thing to say, I don't want to use these powers when you haven't got them. Quite another thing to throw them away when you have got them. Given Gordon Brown's general domestic policy continuity, do you think America will feel the effect of the Blair's resignation more than the British? 
I don't think America will feel the effects of um, Brown's departure more than the British, because America, like Britain, isn't one place. Um, I think um, those few members of George Bush's cabinet and entourage who are still left, who haven't resigned, sacked, been exposed, uh, may feel um, that um, Gordon Brown is not quite so loyal um, to them as Tony Blair was. But I don't think you can put it any more strongly than that. Uh, Gordon Brown is, uh, by all repute, a considerable admirer of many aspects of American life, particularly the economy. Um, I don't think he's uh, quite such an admirer of the present administration, um, but um, that's quite a widespread opinion um, in the United Kingdom. But he's not going to, he's not going to break the special relationship. Um, he's not going to bring troops home from Iraq tomorrow. I suspect he will be slightly keener uh, to get them out um, than Tony Blair was. Um, but that can only be done in collaboration with the United States anyway. Um, so he's not going to be a Chirac. Um, he's not going to be a Spain or a Germany in his attitude towards the current foreign policy of the current US government. Um, there will be a slight backing off, um, but no more than that. It will be the backing off of a supportive friend, not the backing off of a, of a divorced partner. Speaking of the continent, has Tony Blair brought the United Kingdom closer to Europe? And uh, how do you think he's changed relationships with Europe? Tony Blair has calmed down relations with the continent um, without, in fact, becoming, as it were, you know, one enthusiastic member of a united band. After all, particularly after Margaret Thatcher and then the ructions in John Major's Conservative Party over European policy, you didn't really need to do much in order to improve relations with Europe. Um, just stop insulting people and shouting. Um, but clearly Tony Blair has his own line, um, which won't be all that different from Gordon Brown. I mean, Gordon Brown is not an enthusiast for the single European currency. Gordon Brown is not an enthusiast for the common agricultural policy. Um, I think we will see a continuation of Blair's um, liberal economic uh, pressure on Europe, but it will be pre pressure from the inside. Um, in that sense, um, Brown, like Blair, and unlike Margaret Thatcher, will be somebody who's um, sort of inside the tent shouting rather than outside the tent shouting. Sticking with foreign policy now, uh, has Blair's experimentation with humanitarian intervention in the Balkans, Sierra Leone, and arguably Iraq failed? Well, Blair's record on humanitarian intervention, I, I think you have to divide it. You can't say uh, Kosovo, Sierra Leone, and Iraq. Um, because although plausibly you could say that the intervention in Sierra Leone and Kosovo was liberal interventionism, people still don't understand what on earth Blair was doing in joining the invasion of Iraq. Um, if it was a humanitarian intervention, um, then he was lying at the time, um, because both Bush and Blair said it's nothing to do with that, it's to do with weapons of mass destruction, as we call nuclear weapons when we haven't got them. Um, later on, we were told it was about regime change. Um, but I think those who remember the other bits of, of Blair foreign policy still can regard Kosovo and Sierra Leone, you know, despite the damage and the things that didn't go right, as you know, laudable attempts uh, at liberal intervention. I don't think anybody regards Iraq as that now. I mean, Iraq is clearly such a disaster. 
um, for the reputation of the United Kingdom in much of the world, for large numbers of the people of Iraq, for the Middle East, uh, for the reputation of Blair, for the reputation of the Republican administration in Europe. Um, so I think you have to separate those two things. Has Blair stolen the Tories' thunder on key issues? And do you think that Brown can be successful at capturing the centre in the exact same way? Blair didn't so much capture the centre as, as move into a centre which had been uh, vacated by Margaret Thatcher. And the interesting thing about what Blair has done um, in terms of, for instance, um, privatisation, use of the market, um, association with a very hawkish administration in the United States is that in many respects he has been more in conventional terms right-wing even than Margaret Thatcher um, so he didn't need to capture it uh, the space was there um, and he simply moved in uh, other things have been done by the present administration which are more down to Gordon Brown uh, some of them are pretty liberal economic like the, the PFI uh, schemes um, in hospitals, in education, which have not been beneficial on the whole for the public purse, whereas the uh, Working Families Tax Credit, statutory minimum wage, um, I think can largely be credited to new, new Labour in general, but Gordon Brown in particular. Now, to that extent, um, if one wanted to make a simple distinction, um, Blair is liberal economics um, and Brown is um, social democratic egalitarianism. There's much more to it than that, obviously, and that certainly doesn't sum up Gordon Brown. But we won't see a radical departure from the mix of state responsibility and market mechanisms under Brown. But what I think we will see um, is a move in some respects, certainly in terms of public services, uh, to slightly left of centre. Not off centre, um, but slightly left of centre. There will, I think, be a difference there. Um, and I think probably um, we will see one or two surprises from Brown in the early days or weeks of his administration. Um, now, if you ask me what they are, I said, well, if I knew what they were, they wouldn't be surprises. But this does seem to be one of his, one of his political tactics. He did it in 1997. Um, whereas Blair has ten policies uh, stated for every one thing he actually does, um, Brown talks very quietly, and you only know he's done it afterwards sometimes, particularly giving independence over interest rates to the Bank of England. I think it's quite possible something like that might happen in relation to public services, in relation to the health service, in the very early days of the Brown administration. Um, but I genuinely don't know what it is, um, and that is a mark of how effective Brown's surprises can be. Professor Barker, thanks very much. We appreciate your time on the hot seat with us.